Hello. What a week it has been. I honestly can't remember a more crazy week of news than this that's just been. It's been, I mean, a crazy week for sport, a crazy week for football. And I think you know where I'm going with this. And it all began on Sunday evening when the news broke that 12 of Europe's biggest football clubs were breaking away to establish a new midweek competition called the European Super League. Among the 12 clubs involved were the likes of Real Madrid, Juventus and Barcelona, as well as England's big six clubs, including Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea and Tottenham. Now notice how I'm talking about this proposed Super League in the past tense. That's because on Tuesday evening, just 48 hours after it was announced, all of those big six clubs in England had pulled out, leaving the breakaway in tatters. The news of a collapse was music to the ears of football fans right up and down the country, many outraged by what they saw as a project driven by greed. Another big criticism of the proposal was that the 12 founding clubs could never be relegated from this league, making it effectively a closed shop and taking away the fairness and competition that makes sport what it is. So as I said, you know, a, a mental, mental week. Uh, and seeing it unfold as a, as a football fan, uh, as a Manchester United fan, it's, it's really hard to sort of think of things to say that haven't already been said because the coverage has been ginormous. You know, it's been everywhere. Uh, and, and obviously everyone's been sort of wading in on it. But um, I think one of the things I've learned from this week is that there is such a thing as a football family. Now, I never really thought that existed. You know, with, with some sports, you know, maybe so like some racing uh, and maybe slightly smaller sports than football, you can have a sort of family. I always found with football, it can be so detached sometimes because it's such a massive global sport. And I think I've learned this week that there is such a thing as a football family, you know, pundits, players, ex-players, fans, all coming out uh, against this Super League idea. Uh, and I've also learned, you know, I want to go on to that sort of players aspect of it because so often, you know, players get the reputation, they get a reputation for being out of touch. You know, they only care about the money, prima donnas. You know, they don't really know what it's like to be a fan or what it's like to have a real job. You know, that, that you know, view is really common. I think I've even had that view sometimes. You know, when, when I've been to football and a player does something, you just think, oh, for God's sake. You know, I've, I've had that view as well. So I'm not immune from that. And I think something that this week has really sort of reminded me is that these are the good guys. You know, these guys are on our side and they're not like the owners of these clubs. You know, they care about the game. They care about the communities that they grew up in. They care about this country. They care about integrity and fairness. And, you know, it could be so easy. This European Super League would have had tons of money in it, no doubt. And they could have gone away and earned loads and loads of money. But they didn't. They came out this week and they said no. You know, Manchester United defender Luke Shaw on social media said no. Bruno Fernandes said no. Kevin De Bruyne said no. You know, the whole of the Liverpool team came out and said no. And, you know, beyond just this week, footballers have done incredible work during the pandemic as well. You only have to think of 
the likes of Marcus Rashford, you know, only today uh, coming out with a project, announcing a project that will help families cook quick, low-cost meals. You know, also doing amazing work over the free school meals um, issue. Raheem Sterling has done massive work to fight racism in this country. I know Wilfred Zaha uh, equally has spoken out on, on, on the issue of racism. These are good people. They, yes, they earn a lot of money. Uh, yes, their stature is nothing, you know, it's so much bigger than players used to be. Uh, but these guys use their platform on the whole for good. They use, a platform, they use their platform to make a change in this country. And so sometimes you sort of need a story like this to, re- to remind you who the good guys are. And there's, and there's football's full of them. You know, this week was a win for football's good guys. Cheers to that. In other news, one pub landlord goes full Peggy Mitchell. That man is not allowed in my pub. No, Lord. I'm not being physically hurt him. That man. That's assault. I'm not bothering you. I'm not bothering him. That man is not allowed in my pub. Get out of my pub. Go on. Get out of my pub. But who is that man and why did he get kicked out of a pub in Bath this week? All to be revealed on this episode of What's a Story? This week, Labour leader Sakir Starmer has been out on the campaign trail visiting the lovely city of Bath ahead of local elections in May. During that visit, Sakir was kicked out of a local pub after being confronted by the landlord over Labour's response to government lockdown measures. Rod Humphreys, who co-runs The Raven in Bath, said that the Labour leader had failed to hold the government to account and instead had just accepted lockdown. He added... I have been a Labour voter my entire life. You have failed to be the opposition. You have failed this country. Starmer's high drama visit to Bath comes just a year since he was elected leader of the Labour Party. During that leadership election back in April 2020, he won over 56% of the vote, giving Sakir a clear mandate to shape the party in his image. This was a party, however, that had just suffered a historic defeat to the Conservatives in the 2019 general election. And here is Sakir Starmer in his acceptance speech describing the scale of the challenge ahead. But we've just lost four elections in a row. We're failing in our historic purpose. Be in no doubt, I understand the scale of the task, the gravity of the position that we're in. We've got a mountain to climb, but we will climb it. And I will do my utmost to reconnect us across the country, to re-engage with our communities and voters, to establish a coalition across our towns and our cities and our regions, with all creeds and communities, to speak for the whole of the country. Where that requires change, we will change. Where that requires us to rethink, we will rethink. 
So Keir Starmer there talking about the mountain Labour have to climb to catch the Conservatives and finally win a general election. Now the task for him when he took over was firstly to win back the traditional Labour heartlands, you know, the likes of Darlington, Wakefield and Blythe Valley, the so-called Red Wall seats, many in the north, that had turned against the party in favour of the Conservatives in 2019. His second task was to root out and crack down on anti-Semitism in the party, an issue that his predecessor Jeremy Corbyn was criticised for being too soft on. Thirdly, he needed to turn Labour into an effective opposition, able to hold the government to account over issues to do with the pandemic. He also needed to establish a clear and credible Brexit policy, Labour in the past accused of lacking clarity on the issue and heavily criticised for backing a second referendum, uh, a decision that many saw as an indication that Labour simply wouldn't accept Britain's decision to leave the European Union. Finally, he needed to reunify and heal the deep divisions between those on the left of the party, the more left-wing, radical end of the party, and those in the moderate centre ground. So with that huge task ahead, I want to find out whether Labour are finally climbing that mountain. This is the question I put to Nicky Madigan, teacher and member of the Labour Party, as we discussed Keir Starmer's first year as Labour leader. Nicky, pleasure to have you on the show. Um, I'm just going to start off, really, we're here to talk about Sir Keir Starmer. Yep. I just want to get a sense of your relationship with the Labour Party. When did you become a member? Um, and have you always been a sort of lifelong uh, voter of the Labour Party as well? I have. I've been a member probably about 10 years. Um, I've always voted Labour. I left school and went to Essex University, which at the time was um, had a reputation for being quite a left-wing <laughs> place. Right. Although Colchester is a, was a real conservative stronghold. And so... I wasn't really, I was brought up in a fairly working class um, household um, with very apolitical parents. I mean, I looking back at Teenage Diaries, I didn't really, I was quite a strong feminist. I remember when I was very young, being quite pleased about Margaret Thatcher, ironically, becoming prime minister. And I didn't really understand why, except she was a woman, but I didn't really understand politics. And I think when I went to university, I became more aware of politics and talked to lots of people about um different things and had a real uh, spectrum of views in my university accommodation and just found myself gravitating towards really towards socialism and uh, at the time it was Neil Kinnock I think uh, was the leader um, yeah and just felt more aligned to socialist views more than anything really. I want to take you back to April 2020 when Starmer was elected leader of the Labour Party. And if you don't mind me asking, did you vote for Keir Starmer? I did. And I campaigned for him, actually. I did some phone um, canvassing. Okay. I sort of signed up for that because I just felt he was the... Yeah, he was the best candidate at the time, to be honest. Why, why did you think that? What was it about Keir Starmer that stood out for you? Why do you think he was going to be a good leader? Cynically, I think he's more likely to, to kind of appeal to that red wall of... Um, you know, I've got parents who, my parents are kind of quite elderly, late 70s, early 80s. And my mother particularly, but always she's very working class, always been a Labour voter, but gravitated towards um, 
Boris Johnson uh, and Brexit because they're, I suppose, they're that kind of generation. And I could, I always think they're quite representative of, of you know, people at, at their sort of very Middle England, mid Daily Mail readers, you know, live in the sort of rural um, area of the country. And I could see in them that they, that Keir Starmer would appeal to them. But that's not the only reason. Um, I just think he's got good, he's intelligent, he's, you know, he's educated, he's, he's got good values. And even if all of those values don't align to mine, I could see realistically that he was a more credible opposition. Um, you know, obviously I, you know, I, I did like, really like Jeremy Corbyn, but I just felt, I felt frustrated that he held, held on too long. Um, and he was probably too far on the left for this country to, to go that far that's how i felt really so i think yeah. felt that starmer was the most credible opposition leader at the time do you think just i mean it always sounds a bit vain saying it but do you think when he stands there he just looks a bit more like a prime minister whereas maybe jeremy i, do. I mean again i hear my you know that i've heard a few people not just my parents say oh he looks the part and i think um I don't know, maybe that's the, when I was at school and university, I did American studies at university and I remember lecturers saying to me, ironically, that, you know, someone like Trump, not that they mentioned him, but that you'd always have to be a kind of white middle class, middle or upper class man to be president. I, I know that Trump blew that out of the water, but I still think that's the case in this country. I think that, you know, uh, the media, obviously an image goes a long way. And I do, I think he he does look the part and, and cynically, I think that's, that does appeal to a, a big, you know, to, a, to huge numbers of the population. He's now obviously a year into his leadership. How do you think it's gone? What's your assessment of that first year? He said when he took over that we've got a mountain to climb, but we will climb it. Sort of our Labour climbing that mountain under Starmer? How well do you think it's gone? I, I think so. I mean, I know that there's, I mean, I'm, I get frustrated by a lot of these sort of infighting in the, in the Labour Party. And I know that he has alienated quite a number of people on the, on the left of the party. But I think as, as shambolically as the government has handled this pandemic, which I think has been shameful, I do think he has, um, you know, treated it like it has been, like we've been in a war. And I think in a, if, if we were at war, then I think it's, you know, probably well known that the, the opposition party to try not to undermine the, the, the government at the time. So I think that's, I feel that's how he's played it really. I think that um, he's brilliant in prime minister's question time. I think that he, you know, he brings all his skills as a barrister to that. And, and I'm optimistically, although I am an internal optimist, um, I think that come an election, I do think um, he would wipe the floor with, Boris Johnson I'd like to think that anyway um because I just think he's so he's intelligent he's articulate and and um he's he's everything that Boris Johnson isn't really I think he I think he is honest um I you know I, the anti-semitism was a problem um I think lots of people probably infiltrated the 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 Labour Party I think that was a, a problem I think he has tackled it I mean I felt a, bit, a little bit sorry for Rebecca Long Bailey but I do think um he acted in the right way. I think he was, he showed leadership. I think what this country lacks in our current government is leadership. I think they're self-interested and untrustworthy. And I think that he is a, he is a leader. I mean, yeah, he's I was just going to jump in. Rebecca Long-Bailey, who was actually in that leadership election, um, was sacked by yeah. Keir Starmer for sharing 
an article that's sort of um, promoting anti-Semitic conspiracy yeah, theory. I think she was. I think she was silly, naive, whatever you know. Uh, um, and I think he took assertive action. And even though you know, many people he probably lost friends doing that uh, and supporters. I do think he acted assertively and showed uh, a sense of leadership. And I think that would have got people on his side. Yeah. Do you think he was right to? suspend Jeremy Corbyn from the parliamentary party after he um after his reaction to the I didn't at the time I think he, I think that was again to to make probably make a point that you know he's sort of distanced himself from from Corbyn um so I didn't really I didn't agree at the time with the suspension I, I mean I'm, I'm, my feeling about Jeremy Corbyn is I feel and I know lots of people don't agree that he's a good you know he's, he's a good man with good values um I think he did get carried away with himself. I think he got a sniff of power, like, you know, which, and got carried away with that. And, um, and like I said, stayed too long, but I do think he's a good man with good values. And, and I, you know, he is, he, I think we need him in the Labour Party because he does kind of rally the, the left wing, really, the party, the, the, the far left of the party, really. Yeah. And on the opposition, you've talked about Kistama and how he's his sort of strategy during the pandemic has been to uh, sort of play the sort of crisis leader and actually agree a kind of consensus. But do you think he could have been maybe, I mean, news this, what we're focusing actually partly on this week is the landlord. I don't know if you saw the landlord uh, who actually kicked yeah. him out of the pub um, and said you sort of failed to ask the appropriate questions. Do you think he's fair in that view? Do you think Starmer actually, in some instances, has kind of sided with the government too often? Possibly. I, I think, in a way, when he first became leader, I think he didn't. He, he, he was right to keep his distance because they were shooting themselves in the <laughs> every single week. That um, and it probably wouldn't have been helpful. Um, there might have been instances where he could have questioned more. Um, but I also think that, you know, we've got a very right wing uh, press, you know, and, um, uh, I, you know, that he doesn't necessarily get the, that kind of coverage. So I think that he's I think Corbyn was fighting against that, obviously, he was fighting against uh, the electorate and and the media. So I think that, you know, the, the criticism, I don't know, really, because I think that there's probably been lots of coverage, lots of things that he has said that haven't been covered. So it's hard to know, really. But I feel like he's done a solid job. I mean, I don't think he's set the world on fire, but I, I think that, you know, they've got such a vast majority that I almost think he's sort of playing the long game. And and um, I don't know, just I, that's what I like to think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he, when 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 the, the crunch comes, when we, we approach an election, I think he's... I think he, you know, he's got a plan, and and I think he's, hopefully, I think he's playing it clever. Well, that election is twenty twenty four, so it is to be fair, it is three years ago, three years away. Yeah. So he, you're right, he has got time. You mentioned um, your sort of mother and how Boris Johnson talks to her. Now, one of the things levelled at Sir Keir Starmer's leadership is that he's. He's, he's been very good at sort of showing people who he isn't. He isn't Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah. But not so good at showing people who he is. I saw a poll actually from YouGov that saw, that found that, and I'll just get a stat up here. Um, one in five people still don't hold an opinion of Keir Starmer. 
Do you think he needs to come out and be a bit more bold in terms of who he is? Possibly, but I, I think in a way, um, he's yeah. He doesn't want to be known for what he's not, and I think that was probably the same with Biden in America. That you know, I anyone but Trump. That's what my feeling was, and I think lots of people felt the same. And my feeling at the moment would be anyone but Boris. But obviously, um, you know, we've got as you say, we've got three years to go. I think that probably more as we approach an election, there'll be more media coverage. I think that's that is the, one of the the barriers that he has um and maybe he's, he, he's kind of playing it carefully maybe he has got a strategy to sort of because he probably needs more media exposure i do think i mean i i, I it's hard for me to say because i feel like i've got a got a feeling for him as, as a decent man he may not hold like i said before he may not hold all of my values but i feel like you know he's a family man unlike boris johnson he likes football and, and uh, you know that kind of thing um so I, I think he's got time to sort of nurture that and and uh, i think it's been difficult in the last year because of the pandemic perhaps yeah I, I agree with you on the pandemic aspect in the sense he's not actually been able to do a proper speech has he i think the um i think when he has made a speech he, you know he does it really well and he it sounds sincere and heartfelt and uh you know he's he's yeah i I would like to think, I mean, I haven't, I haven't honestly been to, I know people that have been disappointed with him in the last year and I haven't actually been, I think he's been quite honest and poised. And I think people I speak to anyway, um, do see him as a, as a credible uh, leader. And although, as I say, I liked Jeremy Corbyn, I think the problem is uh, image. And I think people didn't see him as a credible uh, leader. I mean, certainly my husband, who is, you know, he's not particularly massively partisan, and and I, although I try and influence him as much as I can, um, he was he did vote for Jeremy Corbyn in the last couple of elections, but he, but very reluctantly, it wouldn't have been his choice. And he really likes Keir Starmer. He's a businessman and got his own business, and um, he sees him as a, as you know someone that we can respect and trust. I think trust is a is going to be a big issue in the next election. Yeah, trust is an, an interesting one because maybe part, I mean, I don't know if you agree with me, but maybe part of the issue with some of the Labour's manifestos, their pledges on the economy in the past, is that yeah. that trust between the voter and Labour over the economy has slightly eroded after sort of the financial crisis and the consequences yeah. of that. Do you think that that's something Starmer really does need to rebuild, that trust that so. Labour can yeah. be with the economy definitely yeah I mean he's got he's got a huge job in sort of shattering I mean as we know from Brexit that there's an it sounds awful but there's a lot of ignorance there's a lot of you know I mean I have a very simplistic view of politics but I think there's lots of people that you know people said to me oh um start uh Corbyn will will destroy your husband's business he's got a small business and you know that that kind of those kind of oh and he's going to put all the everybody's taxes up and there's the, there's these kind of um you know myths the myths around the labor party that somehow they're anti business and yeah i think he's got work to do there but like i say just from anecdotally from my own experience i think people are are more trusting of him i think there's that whole thing of um 
is is sir as well and i think you know lots of <laughs> i agree with you no i i i think it's something of, for a politician to have a leader to have i do think it makes people sit up there and go okay he must have achieved something i think so i mean i think what happened with you know i know trump and to some extent boris johnson got in because they you know they're, they're nurturing this kind of buffoon kind of man of the people image which the, the irony is they're quite the opposite of that you know and and i think that lots of people have felt in the last few years that you know we want actually although you might think you want to be ruled by a man of the people you actually want to be ruled by someone who is intelligent and you know and um i'm constantly astounded by you know what things that boris johnson says i think if he didn't have that accent if he said things that he says in a northern you know regional accent i don't think it be prime minister and i think that's a terrible indictment of this country that he is where he is because he's got that that posh accent and, but and, 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 course, and yet, yeah so just he, he still sort of he has such appeal with votes why do you think those voters in in a lot of the, the sort of former or you know labor heartlands that that went to conservatives in 2019 what is the appeal with Boris Johnson? Why is he so popular? It's beyond me, really. I think for the same reason that Trump was so appealing, because he, you know, um, and he's nurtured this this uh, sort of harmless buffoon and good old Boris, and, you know, he messes up his hair on purpose, calls himself Boris when he's not really called Boris, and that kind of, you know, cuddly man of the people, I mean, couldn't actually be further from the truth, but... He's nurtured that and, and very cleverly, obviously, been well advised. The policies that they're promising, the Conservatives are promising in, in, um, in their manifesto, lots of investment in the North. Do you, where does Labour stand with that? Because Labour, you know, a party of big spenders, how do they fit into that? How do they adopt a position where they can actually shine? In all honesty, I, I think, yes, I, <laughs> this sounds ridiculous, but I think people... I think manifestos, people don't look that closely at manifestos. I think it's, you know, some people do, obviously. People are really interested in politics. But I, you know, I heard people, somebody said to me, you know, building up to the election about, oh, I can't vote Labour because I want a, a party that cares about social care because she was, you know, using carers. And I said, they've got a whole massive part of their manifesto is for social care, based on, you know, creating a, a national care service. And, and, but unless that gets covered in the press, it doesn't matter what they put in their manifesto, unless they get that press coverage. It's all, you know, sadly, I think politics is all about sound bites and, you know, reputation and image and that kind of thing. It shouldn't be. But I think, um, and I think in some ways, probably the Labour Party, like you said about alienating people, in some ways they've got to sell out a little bit in the last next few years just to get their foot in the door because we're so far to the right now that the, the only way back in is to almost kind of edge your way back in and they've got such a majority um i mean without brexit i think that will help in the next election i think that was a huge issue obviously in the last election um but yeah i mean that's that's just my feeling i've got no you know <laughs> that's sort of yeah. anecdotal evidence really more than anything yeah on brexit he's obviously uh, he's now gone with the sort of position that the referendum's over. We've left now. Yeah. There's no there's no sort of case for rejoining. 
um, and we want to make a real success of the exit. Do you think yeah. that that's a good tactic to, especially a lot of those red wall seats, many who voted for Brexit? Do you think I think, that's the right I think so. I think if he's going to get in next time, I do think that. I mean, I know that's disappointed a lot of people. I think that, uh, you know, a friend of mine has left the party because... I think she felt that he was letting the, the, everybody down with with his lack of opposition to Brexit. But I, but again, it comes back to being realistic. Um, you know, I think I, I like being a, a socialist. I think it is an idealistic uh, political perspective in some ways. I think that's why lots of pe young people um, like appeal to you know Jeremy Corbyn, kind of appeal to them because of there's sort of, there's a sense of idealism about socialism, which is nice. But but I think you know to get back into government. You've got to be a realistic. And I think that Brexit is, you know, I'm hoping years down the line there might be an option uh, and perhaps that's something you shouldn't rule out. But on the other hand, I don't think now's the time particularly. You are a Labour Party member, but you're also a teacher. What's the teacher's consensus on Sakir Starmer? <laughs> I, no I noticed that um, when schools were going, or going to go back to school on March the 8th, the, the sort of reopening of schools, uh, he told the teachers unions and teachers not to strike, not to take industrial action. That I don't think there was any. Um, I don't think there was any sense that they would. I think all teachers wanting to go back. The, the, the teachers, I I cannot understand. I couldn't understand a teacher voting for this government. Um, obviously, I've taught for over twenty five years, and so when I first came into teaching, it was a conservative government under John Major, and then. 1997 under Tony Blair and almost overnight things got better for teachers that the, the, the leadership was better the, the organization the, the values that we worked under and then obviously I've seen it shift back to Tory and and it's got worse and um, the leadership at the moment uh, of education is shocking I mean shambolic worse the worst I've ever known in my whole teaching career so I can't understand teachers that would vote Tory, although I'm, I'm sure there are some, but generally it's partly why I like be, <laughs> being a teacher because you come to work and you're working with like-minded people. Um, and, you know, there, there's a good reason why teachers uh, are Labour supporters, actually. Um, and if you worked taught as long as I have, then you would, you would never vote any other way, really. I don't think, uh, you know, I think um, at the moment in the pandemic, there was no question. I think the... The teaching unions are demonised um, unfairly. I think they're think, decent think, people. Yeah, when I think they're, they're demonised. Who's sort of doing the demonising? I think the press. I mean, all through the pandemic, they were there were terrible, misleading headlines about teaching unions that they all they wanted to, to do was close schools, which wasn't true. They were wanting schools to open up safely. That you know, I've been to teaching union meetings, and they're they're decent people wanting to support teachers you know they're not these radical lefties I mean I'm convinced that the government didn't close schools before Christmas when they should have done because the unions demanded that they should and it was kind of petty-minded on their part because they refused to back down because they see that the teaching unions is these kind of left-wing agitators which of course they're not they're just normal people you know trying to support teachers and and they got a terrible um press i mean i'm a member of uh, the NESUWT, and i know for a fact that the things that were being said about that union in the papers were just you know lies you know just to demonize teaching unions not particularly teacher unions but sort of unions in general i know that keir starmer has has had a sort of a tricky time with with 
sort of Unite Union, the biggest trade union in the UK. Uh, and they do hold quite a lot of power because obviously they are, um, they put a lot of money towards the Labour Party. Yeah. But do you think that relationship between the unions and the Labour Party is a healthy one? The sense that Keir Starmer wants to go his own direction. He wants to have a manifesto, a policy agenda that, in his image. And yet Unite would rather have a more sort of radical left wing uh, policy agenda. Is that healthy? Probably not, really. Um, it's not an area that I know an awful yeah. lot about, I have to say, apart from, I don't know about teaching unions. Um, but it's, no, that's an example, I guess, of, of the kind of infighting that we don't need. I mean, I do think, I think, like I keep mentioning Trump and Biden, I, I think that uh, the Democrats needed to unite, you know, and, and I know it's not, it's not a good uh, place to be where you're saying anything but, the opposite, you know, anything but the government. I mean, that was a, an extreme case in America, but I do think we do need to, people do need to pull together, and uh, we do need to find some, you know, common ground. But I, I think he's the lead. Starm is the leader. We it was democratically elected the leader, and I think people have to put their trust and faith in him, and and put you know, and and sometimes kind of keep quiet and and get behind him. That's my feeling, anyway. Yeah, and his his cabinet. I wanted to sort of briefly go on to his cabinet because they've they've been criticised for maybe not uh, not really showing the leadership in his year, in his year as leader. I mean, we've seen very little of the likes of Angela Rayner, the deputy. Yeah. Party. And it's funny. I, I every time I watch political programmes or go and watch the news, it seems like the same people are trotted yeah. out and we don't yeah. see much of the cabinet now is that something he really needs to look at probably yeah I mean I don't you know it depends how much uh what game he's playing as whether he's <laughs> you know I don't know really uh yeah you're right about Angela Rayner I quite like Angela Rayner I think that um she's very articulate she's I, I think there's lots of people that won't like her because she's a real kind of northern working class woman but again and, and and even northern working class with other women probably don't want to be led but do you know what i mean there's that kind of inverted snobbery almost that that you know you don't want they, they want to be led by someone with a sort of accent like boris johnson's or jacob rees mogg i mean you know the irony that you would want someone like him but so it may be that you know she's she's good she's got value she's intelligent but it may be in terms of media maybe they're playing the game about you know sort of a, I, I think I think that one of their strategies is to appeal to that red wall, you know, that people like my parents who already have been won over, very quickly won over by Keir Starmer and perhaps wouldn't be quite so enamoured by uh, the likes of Angela Rayner. I can see why she's there. Um, you know, I like the the, 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 the shadow chancellor. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I just, I've, I've quite a lot of trust in, in him that I'm hoping he's, playing it right <laughs> I might be proved wrong but I'm hoping yes. well I'm going to ask you to get out your crystal ball for a moment just in one <laughs> word are Labour going to win the 2024 general election yeah I love your positivity <laughs> and best, best of luck for it. thank you very much for joining me no it's a pleasure pleasure to talk to you brilliant positivity uh, certainty at the end from Nikki there I, I, mean, I absolutely loved how she answered that last question uh, just with a simple yes. Uh, I abs uh, I think it's brilliant. Love it. But um, yeah, before I get into my sort of immediate reaction to the interview, 
Uh, I do just want to point out that obviously Nikki is a member of the Labour Party. She has a view towards Boris Johnson, the government. Um, and I think if you go across the other side of the political spectrum, you'll find plenty of others who think that actually the government's doing a very good job and that they're exactly what this country needs uh, and that Boris Johnson can speak to people in a way that a lot of politicians can't. So I'd just like to put that out there. Um, you know, she obviously does have a view, but others are entitled to, you know, a different view. And that is why, um, and that is sort of exactly what a healthy democracy is supposed to be about. But on to sort of my immediate thoughts, I think, you know, Nikki was, I thought it was really interesting just hearing about why Starmer appealed to her and she's talking about those values. And it's something I, I think even those who maybe disagree or don't particularly like Keir Starmer, I think most agree that he is a good person and he does have some really good values in a leader. And I think maybe come 2024, a good tactic for the Labour Party would be to sort of, and I'm sure it's something they're thinking about, but is to play into those values and say that, look, this is a leader that care about, cares about the country, is a good person, and he wants to sort of reflect that personality into what he wants to actually do for this country and, and make a difference. So I think that's something that Labour can really play into. That date, though, 2024, is key. Three years away. And, you know, Nicky talked about it. He has got time. I think whenever I've heard criticism of Starmer, I've always thought, yes, but... The election is a long way away and actually in some ways it's a kind of a good thing he's maybe kept a bit more of a low profile. You know, Jeremy Corbyn in the past came out with some bold policies, no doubt, but they had a lot of kickback to them and they actually hurt Labour quite a lot. And I think actually in a good way, it might be sort of useful to Keir Starmer just to sit back a bit bide his time, really sort of think through the Labour strategy for the 2024 election um, but not go too gung-ho on it. And actually, you know, it may sound vain, it may sound a bit silly, but sometimes just stand there and look like a prime minister. Look like a credible leader, look like someone, you know, people actually want to vote for. And who knows what can happen? You know, three years away, so much can happen. I mean, so much can happen in a week in politics. You know, who knows where we're going to be in 2024? Um, so he has definitely got time on his side. Uh, I am looking out the window as we speak. It looks an incredible day. The birds are singing, the sun's out. I'm going to go enjoy it uh, and I hope you enjoy your week. We'll speak again soon.